Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the Greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show is a great way to expand your village and fill your parental toolbox with as many resources as possible. I'm Genevieve Kyle. I'm your host here on Parent Talk, as well as On les Parents Parle, which is our new French edition. I'm 42-year-old, and I'm a mom of two boys, Alexandre, who is two and a half, and Nathan, who is almost one. Today, we're talking about snoring and sleep apnea. So let's go around the table and let's introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old and mom to Hudson, who is just over two years old, and I'm expecting a baby girl in March. Hi, everyone. My name is Paul Sweeney. I'm a registered respiratory therapist and sleep clinician at Coastal Sleep, which is a sleep apnea clinic throughout the Lower Mainland. I'm also a husband and father of two. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Heather, for being here. So, Paul, what is sleep apnea? Good question. So, sleep apnea is a condition where when someone's falling asleep, as they're relaxing and going into their deeper sleep cycles, the tissue in the back of the throat or their tongue can fall back, um, block the throat and the airways, which causes a couple of things. One is it causes patients to wake up or it causes an arousal from their deeper sleep stages, which causes them to be tired in the daytime. But secondly, when they have those blockages of their throat and the airways, it can cause their oxygen levels to drop, which can over time cause various medical related issues. Mm-hmm. How is snoring related to sleep apnea? So think of it like uh, lights on a dashboard. Snoring is a, is a sign, but it doesn't necessarily mean you, you have sleep apnea. Snoring is when you start to relax and the tongue or tissue falls back in the throat and vibrates. It's almost like a musical instrument. It's a narrowing and, and when the air is going in and out, it's vibrating. What's concerning is not the snoring, it's the pauses in those snoring uh, moments, which could not could, could actually be more of a risk factor, which could actually be sleep apnea. Is it more common for men or women? It's more common in men, uh, usually over the age of 40, but I'm seeing patients as young as I'm 16, 18-year-olds. Um, it definitely is common in women after menopause it equalizes so it's kind of a one-to-one -one ratio after menopause but men are sort of two to one for for um, diagnosis what are the signs and symptoms of sleep apnea so the most common signs first and foremost is is snoring with pauses in breathing um, this would off usually it's 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 noticed by a, a bed partner or family member where someone's sleeping uh, they're snoring they stop snoring and then they they um, have an arousal and they wake up and snore again the other common symptoms is is obviously daytime sleepiness so if if someone's going into deep sleep their throat's relaxing they're falling asleep 
they're subtracting and waking up constantly. They're being prevented from going into their deeper sleep cycles, like deep sleep and REM sleep. And therefore, in the daytime, they're tired, um, they're fatigued, uh, they're mentally unable to concentrate as well on, on work. It can be so bad that they can fall asleep while they're driving. Okay. Other common symptoms, um, which I find quite often that people don't think is related is getting up to pee at night. So if you're going into a deep sleep and you're snoring and you're stopping breathing and you're, you're waking up repetitively, it actually causes a drop in your oxygen level and causes your blood pressure to spike at night. It also causes your sugar levels in your bloodstream to, to, to rise at night, which consequently causes people to pee more. So everybody thinks, oh, I'm getting older. I have to get up to pee a lot. But <laughs> yeah, we, we hear that all the yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that can be various reasons. I yes. mean, it just, it just, it's, it's something that we see a lot in is the case that people think is unrelated to their sleep. So it's, it's something to definitely look for. Um, other more uncommon um, symptoms is, is, is headaches in the morning. And, and that we see more in women than men, but it, it certainly happens in both sexes. Um, a lot of people that grind their teeth um, and have bruxism it can be a defense mechanism to a blockage of the airway. Certainly those are more symptoms and signs. And, and then there's also the medical risks that, that are associated with repetitive blockages of the throat and drops in the oxygen level. And those over time can be stuff like high blood pressure, like weight gain, like diabetes, like cardiac issues, and even stroke, you know, for some severe cases. So, it starts with snoring, but it can get, as you get older, definitely more serious. Heather, I think your husband has sleep apnea, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know exactly when he was diagnosed. He did do a sleep study, and um, I'm going to guess early 30s. I'm somewhere around there. Anyways, so yeah, so he has a CPAP machine. And so when we did get together in our, we were, I guess he was late 30s, I was mid 30s. Um, yeah, so he had a machine at that point, And Kind of at the beginning of our, when we got married and that sort of thing and i noticed that the machine wasn't working properly or it would make funny sounds and he was still really tired or else at the middle of the night he would just tear it off and so we had different issues and finally he was able to kind of get the help he needed and get a new updated machine and um, find the right mask he went through several different styles because there's all different kind of styles he ended up needing one that fully covered the mouth and nose for him that's what ended up working out best and um so yeah so he definitely notices if he doesn't use his machine like especially having the baby there's been a few times where he ended up you know in a different room because baby's in the bed and so he doesn't have his machine with him and he totally notices or there was one trip he went away with the boys and he forgot his machine and oh my gosh he totally noticed that he didn't have it so it makes a huge difference for him and his quality of life for sure um if he doesn't have that machine so it definitely proves his sleep improves his daily life for sure and mm-hmm. uh, like as a sleep clinician and, and and seeing patients that we put on CPAP quite commonly is, is, is we're always focusing so much on the patient but the, the bed is actually a family unit. So if there's a partner, 
those sleep disturbances and them waking up repetitively and them being restless at night actually affects your 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 partner just as much the the kind of key phrase these days is secondhand snoring like like <laughs> like, totally. like smoking because it's true right yeah so so if you have someone that's restless they're they're snoring the bed partner can't fall asleep um you know, they're not going to have a good night's sleep. And guess what? Happy wife, happy life, right? So, you know, it goes both ways. So then you add a baby to the mix or a young child and, you know, no one's getting any sleep, right? So no one's sleeping. Everybody's really happy in the morning, right? Yeah, yeah. And what happens if someone doesn't have sleep apnea but snores? Good question. So just because you you snore doesn't mean you have sleep apnea. It's just means that while you are sleeping there's there's a, a blockage um, or restriction of your airway and you know it it's a misconception that it's always weight related but that's definitely a factor um, for women with an over 16 inch neck or men with an over 17 inch neck there's a 50 percent chance of having sleep apnea but it is more weight related but but a lot of it is is um has to do with the anatomy that your genetics were given. So some people just anatomically have a bigger tongue. They have more of a Gene Simmons tongue than than other. And <laughs> and with a smaller throat and a, and a smaller um, arch of their teeth, it just when they when they sleep, it pushes the tongue back and blocks their windpipe. So in, in the challenge is okay if you have snoring. Well, what what do we do about it? So f- first off, you you have to look. You know and look are you tired are you pausing breathing you kind of need to rule out sleep apnea but if it's mm-hmm. just snoring then we can look at treating these patients with uh, a simpler approach um the first and and, and the easiest is, is to sleep on your side usually people are worse on their back you can get you know bumper belts or sleep pep pillows which is similar to like maternity pillows that forces um, people to, to stay on their back um, that's a starting point. From there, there's other modalities like mouth guards, which can actually pull the lower jaw forward. To, Are they call a snoring guard? They're kind of like a snore guard or mm-hmm. oral appliance or mandibular advancement device. There's different mm-hmm. variations from them. Um, you can get them over the counter, but you really want to watch. It's a good trial phase to use one of those to see if you can tolerate something in your mouth but if you do use one of those for a long duration of time it can really affect your your dentition so it's not something you want to do long term you want to talk to your dentist if this is something you feel like it will help you Um, what i have seen on my side in a dental office is if it's not fitted properly your lower teeth often starts moving yeah and you can lose your teeth yeah so it's very important to actually go see your, your dentist regarding that Absolutely, and and um, as sleep grows and and, and 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 it's more people are more aware. I think people, rightly so, they're taking action, you know, themselves. Um, but sometimes the over-the-counter sleep aids can be a great start, but can cause problems definitely down mm-hmm. the road. Mm-hmm. My niece was diagnosed with sleep apnea. She was about, I would say, seven, eight year old. So, um, what about kids? Are they treating differently, or what happened if yeah, if our children has sleep apnea, or if we worry uh, about that? Absolutely, that's a that's a great question. P- 
pediatrics sleep and, 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 and most commonly sleep apnea, unfortunately, is underdiagnosed in children. And it's definitely where the sleep community needs to go. There's just a tough um, group to treat. Uh, you know, some grow out of it, some don't. Um, the kids treating kids is usually more surgical. Um, so the, the question is, is, you know, how do we, how do we diagnose a child that you think might be having sleep apnea? And the right way is to do a sleep study, uh, in a sleep lab, which is a great academic thing, but it's not really practical. Um, the best thing and the easiest thing that you could probably do is that if you are watching your child and you see them having pauses in their breathing, film it, take a picture of it, take it to your family doctor and usually you can use that as a catalyst to potentially get referred um, to an ear, nose, and throat to major, potentially, you know, have a, ton, a tonsils removed or adenoids removed. You know, but at least your GP can look in the throat and say, okay, yeah, he's got some big meatballs. Let's take him out. Unfortunately, these days, uh, there's not as much accessibility to OR times for kids to have access to have these surgeries done. So it's not getting done, unfortunately. So it's, it's underdiagnosed and, and it's uh, very, very common, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. My niece was diagnosed with sleep apnea, as I said earlier, and she got her tonsil removed and her uh, adenoid removed. And uh, it seems to be better now. Yeah. So. And did she get them out because she was waking up all the time or like well, what, actually, was, what, what happened? was her symptoms because kids yeah no, kids actually, present a lot differently yeah than, what happened is actually my mother-in-law jean uh happened to go with them on a trip to hawaii and slept next to her mm-hmm. next to her and noticed that uh she was stopping breathing in the middle of the night like many many times so and with that took it to a doctor and doctor here and those specialists to all the way to yeah and i think it was very important because i'm aware that um if you don't uh do this and you don't sleep properly as a young uh person like you can have some permanent impact in your life right absolutely the kids kids present much different i mean the adult population is more tired but kids can be more hyperactive uh, difficulty concentrating difficulty in school socially developing uh, poorly um yeah it, it can be di- various different reasons and i think it can lead to um, adhd i have heard that mm-hmm. i have heard that yeah. um the challenge is 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 you know at what point do we intervene mm-hmm. and that and that's that's going to be different for every child because it, 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 it's usually about uh, airway size it's about weight it's about height it's about growth so you can't really stick an an, um, an age to it but it's definitely something you have to watch i mean kids that are really young like two and you know one and two they just naturally have big tongues no neck i mean look at your you can see your My own little child. one yeah yeah you just they're you know and as they get they they um as they get older their necks get taller their airways start to form but at what stage did they grow out of it and what stage do we need to intervene? Um, and, and that's a tough call to make. Um, and that's why sometimes parents' intuition is, 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 a, is a powerful tool. 
So yeah. follow your gut feeling. If you don't feel yeah. right about something, if your doctor says, oh, everything's fine, maybe yeah. maybe you, you you would suggest to go see someone else. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, taking filming's good. There is home testing, that, but it's not as accurate in a pediatric population. And unfortunately, um, the, the sleep... Uh, the sleep labs not as accessible in the west coast of canada but in other areas of the states uh ontario eastern canada it's a little bit more accessible mm -hmm. so if there's a, a pediatric sleep lab definitely i mean that's that's the gold standard and that's gonna definitely prove things and and often it's the testing that can validate the severity which helps just make a decision you know, when things are borderline, you can kind of put up with it. But when things are more severe, it's it's it, it kind of makes a decision for you, and that's why testing really helps. But unfortunately, it's 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 access that's that's challenging. Yeah, is sleep apnea is more common when a woman is pregnant? Is that possible? It, it actually is. Like uh, pregnant women get increased nasal resistance and, and sinus issues. So if you if you're thinking. If you, if you picture yourself lying down and you're breathing through your nose, you can do this at home. You can go home and you can, and you can plug your nose. And naturally, in order to get enough air, you actually open your mouth and your jaw drops and your tongue falls back more. So the nasal congestion can precipitate more obstruction and therefore potentially more sleep apnea because you can't breathe through your nose. So, and then you, on top of that, you add a bit of weight around the neck you had a little baby pushing up on your belly and crowded it. And there is definitely a higher risk for potentially sleep apnea in pregnant women, which can lead to other medical issues, hypertension, preeclampsia, you know, I things, think Heather, things we you watch were for. Saying, yeah, I think Heather, it's, you were saying It's interesting, earlier. yeah, because I had tons of sinus issues when I was pregnant and I could not breathe and they tried all these things. I had breathe right strips and I tried sinus sprays and I was doing homeopathic treatments. I was doing everything. I had a cool mist humidifier. I did everything in the book and I was having so much trouble breathing. I knew I was breathing out of my mouth because it was so dry every morning. And I ended up with hypertension and then followed by preeclampsia. Yeah, but I don't know oh, if wow. it's fully related, <laughs> but like that's exactly what happened to me. And I had a lot of trouble with breathing. That's so interesting. Yeah, right? it is. And I think, I think it gets a little bit worse in the third trimester so it's something you want to watch and you know you there is home testing that you can measure your oxygen levels because if you're not breathing your oxygen levels good or are lower which is definitely not good for baby and 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 obviously a mom as well um the challenge is is to treat uh pregnant women um it, it's tough because the treatment is like your husband has is a cpap mm -hmm. machine it's a mask they wear on their nose but if you can't breathe through your nose it's kind of <laughs> it's an uphill battle and you know you're already feeling like a two-ton yeah, and then and non that attractive and then i'm giving you the cpap machine it's and then it's temporary it, like you're not is, pregnant yeah. forever too, yeah right? but the machines so, are incredibly expensive like so for a temporary thing i mean i guess there is coverage obviously my is. husband has coverage but and yeah, yeah. that's that's a factor but if if it's you're not sleeping well regardless for other factors but if it's causing you know oxygen saturation it's impacting your pregnancy mm -hmm. there's a medical reason to treat then mm -hmm. then that kind of makes the decision i think for us but you definitely you got to talk to your doctor yeah. and and decide you know at what point do you intervene that's very interesting so how do someone get tested for sleep apnea so historically in the past um 
the only way to be tested with sleep apnea was to 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 do an overnight polysomnography, which is a fancy word for overnight sleep test. And you go into the hospital and you sleep overnight and they hook you up with all these wires. They they measure your breathing, your airflow, they measure your heart rate, they put wires on your head to measure your brain waves in EEG, which you basically look like a monster. They they put 15 different leads on it. And it's very, very accurate. Unfortunately it's not practical and it's accessible for everybody to, to go into the sleep lab to, to be tested. And it's not the most comfortable scenario so people often don't sleep as well i was wondering about that because if you put all this stuff on me i don't think i would sleep very well well they they call it like the first night effect so imagine going to a hotel you never really sleep well the first night well imagine with all these wires but they are able to actually look at people's eegs and their brainwaves and actually cut out when they weren't sleeping so if you slept Mm -hmm. for seven hours they could cut it down to five and and basically make a a diagnosis Mm -hmm. and and that's a really positive study if if they can they can test for sleep apnea but there's actually there's 82 sleep disorders sleep apnea is just the most common actually sleep apnea is the second most common insomnia is the first mm. but sleep apnea and, and a sleep study to that degree sometimes we'll send patients when there's other differential diagnosis where we want to look a little deeper but the way that sleep has involved in our communities now is because of the technology of home testing and so what's happening now is there's basically we call level three home testing, which is like a simplified dumbed down version of a overnight sleep test where you wear a band around your chest and a, and a cannula in your nose to measure your, your breathing and your airflow. And you measure, and you wear a, a probe on your finger to measure your oxygen levels. So what happens when people sleep and they start to go into a deep sleep is the tongue will start to fall back and it will block the airway. So the cannula in the nose is sensing, hey, there's no airflow going in and out, but it's sensing on the belt that your chest is moving, but no air flow is going out. So this is the way that it picks up an airflow obstruction, and then it, it validates it by seeing a drop in your oxygen level. So it uses three little things to put it all together to um, see if there's a blockage. And then what we do is we basically index how many times is this blockage happening per hour? So normal is less than five. So it's actually normal when you transition from different stages or into REM sleep, you actually pause your breathing, so it's normal. So if you see your partner pause once, don't call the doctor right away. <laughs> don't call, don't call it, 911. Yeah, it is, it is somewhat normal. It's if it's repetitive. So if, if, if someone stops breathing more than five to 15, that would be considered mild sleep apnea moderate would be 15 to 30 apnea events per hour and over 30 would be severe so to put it in in a, in a more simple simplistic context 30 apnea events would be like you're stopping breathing every two minutes and an apnea event is at least a cessation of airflow for for 10 seconds or more you know i've seen patients with you know 20 to 30 second usually is average apnea events up to 60 seconds wow so those people don't have a very good night to sleep. No, and you can picture it like you're not only you're you not breathing, you're or holding your breath. You're holding your breath and you're trying to struggle against a closed throat. So it's the the, the best analogy I give to my patients is imagine your your heart and and your body's like a truck driving down the road. And the truck needs to do 60 kilometers an hour. It needs to just maintain that that regular 
um, speed, just like your heart needs to do, say, 60. But what happens is as you start to fall asleep and your tongue falls back and blocks the airway, your oxygen levels drop. So it's like turning the gas on your car. So the engine slows down and it can actually cause your heart to slow down too. And then you breathe and, you're in, 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 in the, the truck gets gas again. And so the truck speeds up to 100 to catch up. So you get a lot of this variation in, 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 in slowing down and speeding up, which over time can lead to hypertension, cardiac disease, atrial fibrillation, and various other forms of cardiac disease. So there's a medical risk associated with that, that drops in oxygen. The question is when we're measuring people's apnea events, it's like, well, at what point is it severe enough to treat it? And so, you know, usually over 15 would be considered moderate sleep apnea. And, and that's more associated with a cardiovascular risk. So we're kind of like, you know, we should treat that. But even patients that are mild, which is apnea events from say five to 15, the, the events per hour are one part of the equation. You really have to put it into context with um, the patient as a whole. So that includes their symptoms, uh, their apnea event index, and, and their medical risks. So when we're looking at, at those three things, we can put that whole um, pieces together like a puzzle to make a, an effective diagnosis. So signs and symptoms we talked about snoring daytime sleepiness waking up to you know in the middle of the night daytime you know being tired all the time we looked at the apnea event index which is the drops per oxygen but the other side of the equation is is medical risk so there's certain categories of patients that put you at a high pretest probability which is a fancy way of saying like there's a good chance you might have it and the first one is unfortunately obesity there's an 80% chance of sleep apnea in, in, a, in an obese patient. And, and obviously, as the body mass index goes higher, the risk goes, goes up. But that's only, obesity is only one reason. I mean, a lot of it is I've got 120-pound Chinese ladies or slim ladies that, that aren't overweight. So a lot of it is anatomy. Other medical risks include high blood pressure. I've seen some studies up to 40%. chance of having sleep apnea diabetes is a big one diabetic males is about a 50 50 chance slightly less in in females patients with drug resistant hypertension can have up to 80 i've seen i've seen stats up to 88 percent chance of having uh, sleep apnea from the low low drops in their oxygen Um, depression anxiety which is very common these days so if you're suffering from depression and anxiety you have more chance of having sleep apnea there's a possibility, absolutely, and 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 I'm not saying if you have anxiety, and depression, you have sleep apnea. I'm just saying patients with anxiety and depression can have sleep apnea, and it can be related. So you kind of sleep. So do you mean it's related to the depression, or because if you don't sleep properly, it will not help. The it, condition. it doesn't help your anxiety and depression exactly. So you you know definitely sleep is 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 important as checking your blood pressure or or checking. It's part of fueling the truck, right? And, and exactly, and that's where things are going. That you know, everybody now and then, th- as they go through the medical system, should should have their sleep looked at. And that doesn't mean getting tested. It just means a little bit of conversation or a conversation with your 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 spouse or your loved one. It's just like, hey, am I doing this? Am I doing that? You know. And doctors are getting better at picking things up because they they see it now and they know it's treatable, so they're more inclined to treat it because they can do something.
Mm-hmm. People that grind or teeth bruxism is it a sign of sleep apnea it can mm-hmm. i've seen stats up to 30 percent of, of of people who grind their teeth um can have sleep apnea i think the theory is it's a, a defense mechanism from an obstructive area and you're clenching your jaw to keep your tongue forward or you're reacting after a hypoxic or low low drop in your oxygen mm-hmm. what are the treatments options available good question so the most common treatment um, is unfortunately a CPAP machine, and it's not a sexy thing, and, and but it works. They're for very mild. It's sexy because you sleep. Exactly. <laughs> so actually, there, there is go. a sexiness to it. <laughs> and, and if you do sleep, but you've got more energy, and if you got more energy, it, it, just things. And your partner happen. sleeps. So. Things happen. Yeah, exactly. So. Things happen. Everybody's you know. happier. Yep. Just think about it about a white noise machine. Uh, how we all. Often yeah. parents sleep with the. I Guys hear out my there. If your wife sleeps better, you wear your machine. You might get lucky. Exactly. Am I allowed to say that on air? Yes, totally. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah, because we know parents with new kids. That's just on the top of the list, right? So. Yeah. Sleeping. So surviving. So, so if it's mild sleep apnea, the, the easiest thing would be to, to lose weight, and that's just easy to say in a medical room. Go lose some weight. Well. If you're not sleeping and you're not going to deep sleep, it actually affects your hormones. So you, you can try it till the cows come home, but but you're not going to lose weight. So they kind of come synonymous with each other. Some people, if it's positional sleep apnea, um, they can they can sleep on their side. You can wear a belt that goes around your back, or you can wear pillows, which sounds good in theory. They're just not that great in practicality. It's it's hard to really sleep with a tennis balls on your back. Exactly. <laughs> like I've. Uh, <laughs> I've, the sleep community has been recommending that for years and I've never seen anybody do it. So good luck, you know? So, um, so the, the most common treatment is, is a CPAP machine, which stands for continuous positive airway pressure. And what it is, is it's a mask that you wear on the nose or mouth. Usually the, just the nose or in the nostrils and it blows air into the throat and into the passageway to prevent the tongue from falling back and blocking the airway. Now, the old CPAPs that you always see online are, are, are from the dark ages. And basically, they were just a constant pressure. The new machines start at a very low pressure and they auto adjust. And so the machine will sense if there's a flow obstruction or blockage, it will increase the pressure, therefore keeping the person asleep, and then it will titrate in, in, in the middle of the night. The technology's come a long ways. It used to be you know we turn it on just keep turning it up until someone stops snoring now with them auto adjusting they actually have complex software that we can download the data and do diagnostics on how someone's sleeping we have cellular modems in the machine so the machine the data can be sent to our office we can remotely change settings from people's homes so it makes it a bit more accessible for people who have a hard time coming into the clinic so CPAP's the easiest most common treatment option now when we're treating the severity of sleep apnea, it's anywhere from mild, moderate, and severe. So, so moderate again is over 15 events per hour. Severe is over 30. So, when you're in the 15 to 30 range, you're you're looking to more CPAP. For patients with um, more mild sleep apnea, this is indexes under under 15 up to moderate. We do see, see um, you 
can potentially get an oral mandibular advancement device, which is a mouth guard that pulls the jaw forward. But you have to kind of talk to your doctor or dentist to see if anatomically you fit. And usually it's more slimmer patients, it's younger patients, it's more patients with a little bit of an overbite, more of a retronathic or shorter jaw that can pull the airway forward. The problem is, is you can't try it. You just, you get them made, it's expensive, and it's hit or miss whether it's gonna work. And believe it or not, unfortunately, there's long-term side effects from advancing your lower jaw over extended periods of time and that you can affect your bite. And so often it's our younger patients that don't want to use CPAP. They go to oral appliance and then five years, their bites change and they're back to wanting to use CPAP. So we often try to do CPAP first to see if they're really getting an easy symptomatic response. If they're responding to treatment, it validates a diagnosis. Okay, we need to do something about it. But I don't know where the stupid machine. Okay, fine. Then okay, we could consider having that conversation about an oral appliance. We know you've responded to CPAP. You can try it, but we don't have to jump down an oral appliance route. Okay. Third option is surgery. So surgery for um, adenoids and tonsils is probably the most common, but it tends to work in pediatrics and younger patients. The older people get, the less likely it works. So unfortunately, it. It, it doesn't work that well because the adenoids in the top tonsils are at the top of the throat. If you look in the back of someone's throat, you can measure the, like the comic, like watching comics and you'd see someone yelling, you'd see the little flappy thing in the back. Well, that's just behind there is where the tonsils are, but the tongue is below that and it's the tongue that's blocking the airway. So if we cut out the adenoids and tonsils above, it doesn't change the tongue. So you can take your tongue out, but that's really not, it's not, not a very practical. No. <laughs> that is not sexy either, right? No, no, no. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, you know, in, in a pediatric population, that's where we want to jump on on surgery. There is patients that are mild that can have some. It's called a uvuloplasty, which is like the upper roof of the mouth can be done. They they some really severe uh, situations they can um, do a mandibular advancement, which is a, a surgery. Um, that's usually situations where people have orthodontic issues and sleep apnea and then kind of kill two birds with one stone. Unfortunately, that's a little bit more of an expensive uh, situation. So really it's CPAP, maybe an oral appliance, not so much surgery for adults, but in some select cases. Mm-hmm. So Paul, we can find you on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca, but where else can we find you? You can check us out on our website at www.coastalsleep.ca or you can just email me at paul at coastalsleep.ca. Awesome. Well, thank you, Heather, and thank you, Paul, for being here today. I think it's time for a conversation card. Heather, can you pick one and read it to us? All right, everyone. Okay, so would you rather have a good but strict teacher or a less talented but fun one? That's a good question. You know, I think it's surprising when, when, when someone makes you laugh, you actually, you know, you, you, you take a big breath in and I think it wakes you up and you get oxygen into the head. So I bet you the teacher that's making someone laugh is actually getting more things to stick as kids walk out the door than the strict one. That's no one's paying attention to. <laughs> At least that everybody, the, that everybody hates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I was as a child, I was very, very timid of authority and teachers, and so I didn't respond well to the strict ones. I would just end up in tears. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so definitely, yeah, having somebody being a little more comical or whatever, I would definitely probably retain a lot more of the information. Um, yeah. So I guess. No one Although, likes a strict teacher. Know, really. Yeah, but you know, just, I did have one teacher that was known for being super strict, but that he had this kind of fun, comical side to him. And he was from Quebec. <laughs> Jacques-André Larrivé. Jean, the French. <laughs> he called me Blondie, Blondie, Blondie down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd tell everybody, jouer dans le trafic. Go play in the traffic. <laughs> Anyways, he had quite the personality on him. He was... One of my most memorable teachers. Super strict, but funny. So I don't know. He was kind of a combination. <laughs> you know, and I can think of all the teachers I had that were strict. And, and in hindsight, they were tough on me, but but they actually cared. And I, I think that says a lot about them as teachers. So mm. I could start naming names now, but I, you don't have all day. I have to just say, you know, sorry. The memory of all I, the teachers. I turned out okay. <laughs> yeah, it I, worked. I graduated, you know, you know, you got, you got me past third grade. I'm sorry. I had a little bit too much energy Uh, for myself, a little bit of both, but I did learn a lot with some of my strict teachers and, and then I have some very funny teacher. Actually, one of them was an English teacher. It was so funny and he would jump on the desk and say this word, those English words that were so hard for us to retain over and over and over and looking at him going crazy, trust me, you would remember, right? So that worked for me too. So I don't know if I would pick like, well, it's always more fun yeah. to be with someone fun. Yes. Yeah. And if you have someone that's fun and you fun. can learn, yeah. then yeah, I would I would pick that combination yeah. for yeah. sure. Best All of both right. worlds. Both of, yeah. So, uh, Well, that concludes uh, today's episode. Thank you again to both of you guys for being here. And thank you for your contribution in other parents' lives, helping us be the best parents we can be. For our listeners, if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the Contact Us section in our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean, or you can subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Don't forget to rate and review us. That would be fantastic. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.